Hi, Peter Borker here and welcome to today's edition of The Transition Guy. Now today I want to talk to you about an article that I read in Inca Magazine between Christmas and New Year by Bill Gates about the 12 sort of inspiring reasons why to be very hopeful in 2021. That really caught my eye because the majority of press out there right now is the most negative press. It's like the countries are not doing this, COVID's going to bring around the biggest recession or depression we've ever seen. It's going to throw everybody into poverty, the world's coming to an end, blah, 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 blah. People should be doing this, people should be doing that, and it's just like drone, 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 drone. So to see something actually saying, okay, well, 2021 is not going to be as bad as everyone thought, and actually there's a lot of things to be grateful for, was that actually a good take on it? And when I read it, I would, I would tend to say that I quite like Bill Gates' outlook. Now, in 2015, Bill Gates did actually predict that we were heading towards another pandemic. Now, obviously, some people took it seriously, many other people dismissed it, and when the pandemic did come, the conspiracy theorists came out with their cousins and basically started to say that it was Bill Gates that created the pandemic in the first place because he needed more money. Now, really, he needs more money. Does anybody really even fully understand how much wealth this man has got? Believe you me when I say he doesn't need any more money. He has plenty of money. And for someone that needs more money, why would he have teamed up with Warren Buffett? And by the time, when they did this together, when they created their foundation together, Bill Gates was the wealthiest man in the world and Warren Buffett was the second wealthiest man in the world. And I think they created a fund to give back, and I think it was to the tune of 50 billion plus. So they're giving away 50 billion of their fortune to go out there and make the world a better place. Mm. And they need more money. How ridiculous does that sound? And in the article, basically what he was talking about was actually the breakthroughs we've made and how they're going to lead through to better breakthroughs in 2021. The first one he talked about was the sheer speed of the vaccine development. Now, when I first saw the vaccine being developed, I probably was the same as many other people because we've not used to seeing vaccines being developed at this rate. You kind of think, well, it has never been done before, therefore there's got to be something wrong with it. Yeah, and I think I was a sceptic like everybody else. By starting to see the development across multiple pharmaceutical companies and research universities, you've got to think, okay, if it was one, you could probably question it, but you're talking about three or four of them that have got viable vaccines. And that is something, okay, well, perhaps there's a lot to be said that when you've got an entire globe working together to solve a single problem, it's amazing what can be achieved. And just because it hasn't been achieved in the past doesn't mean it cannot be achieved. So that, to me, was really exciting. Number two, he put down that largely people have accepted the use of wearing masks and social distancing, and I would agree with that. I think when it first came out that we've got a social distance because we've never had to do it before or wear masks, there was a massive, massive sense of, I don't want to do that. It's not that I couldn't do that. I don't want to do that. I mean, I personally didn't want to wear a mask. Imagine getting on a plane and wearing a mask for maybe eight to ten hours on a long-distance flight. I mean, that's just heinous. And because you're not used to it, yeah, it is very uncomfortable. But year down the line, it's amazing how much we've adapted to it so much so that when I'm watching old movies now and they're not socially distanced, you kind of think, say to yourself, oh, they're too close together, where's their mask? I mean, that's really sad, but I suppose that's the way that we've kind of <laughs> developed. Number three, we're about to hit global impact. 
And that is true. I mean, you talk about the COVID sort of pandemic being a global pandemic. Absolutely. And now we are va- we are absolutely rolling the vaccination across the entire globe. I mean, when was the last time you saw such a global effort being undertaken? And it does sort of make you wonder that if you're able to do it with this, what else could you have a global movement towards? Number four, the promise of more vaccines. And Gates is committed to another two billion in vaccination sort of development across various diseases. And it is sort of one of those things that you say to yourself, well, okay, we've tackled this in one year. We've done the impossible in one year. So if we manage to do the impossible in one year, what other diseases and ailments can we tackle if we actually collaborated and worked together across the globe? I do. It does make you wonder, doesn't it? When you look at things like sort of the cancers and all of that and how it's taken such a long time to develop the treatments, I just wonder whether or not we need a pandemic-style sort of crisis to say, let's bring the best minds across the globe together and actually instead of working in competition with one another as it being an income-generating sort of exercise, Wonder what would happen if we actually came and solved the problem to hand and used the collective intelligence and resources of these companies. Because I'm sure they'd make money out of it. I'm sure they would. And that really moves into number five, the, the sort of emergence of shared financial risk. And that's been part of the challenge before. To develop vaccines and treatments, it's very, very cost prohibitive. It costs pharmaceuticals a lot of money. And I suppose the reason they have to charge a lot is because they've paid a lot in the beginning. Whereas if we can actually sort of share and pool knowledge and resources, could that whole process be a lot cheaper? Quite possibly. Second source agreements. Now that's been an interesting one because obviously when you're talking about doing something on such a mass scale, you can't expect these pharmaceuticals to have all the resources in place. And when you're talking about either if it's if it's developing the vaccine, actually producing a vaccine, or whether it's producing ventilators or breathing equipment, traditional manufacturers just didn't have the capability. It's interesting how companies hit by the pandemic, whether it's car manufacturing or whatever, how they lent their resources to actually help join the effort to actually produce vaccines or produce masks, produce ventilators, whatever, it was that whole sort of second sort of agreements. We had access to a much bigger manufacturing base than we first thought we had out there. Number seven, vaccine distribution logistics. Again, this is something that's probably never been undertaken to the level it has been. We're talking about global vaccinations. And yes, there's been some teething troubles. But if you look at now how things are starting to come together, we are learning how to do global projects at the same time. And I just wonder what it can lead to in the future. Number eight, the defeat of scepticism. Yep, I would say that prior to prior to COVID, a lot of people were quite skeptic around skeptics around vaccines. I think what's happened is people have become used to vaccines, whether it's the MMR jab, polio, and there's been some bad press around some of the vaccinations where some people have had adverse effects and there was this kind of movement against move there was a movement around moving away from vaccinations 
And I think what this has shown us is actually vaccinations done correct can be a really good thing, can save lives and enhance the quality of our lives. Number nine, the rise of treatments. And again, you look at this, in the last 10 years, we have seen an absolute massive rise in our ability to treat various diseases around the world. And because we're getting so much better at this, if you look at the next 10 years ahead, knowing what we've learned with the COVID situation, I just wonder how many more of these debilitating diseases and conditions people have, we're going to be able to better treat and sometimes even eradicate. So that's really positive. Number 10, the testing process. I remember when the COVID testing process first came out. I mean, it was, it was in itself groundbreaking because how quickly we managed to test it. But more importantly, I mean, it was like nasty, this really long kind of stick that you had to put down your throat, have nasty gag reflex, be lucky if you didn't throw up in your own head. Then you had to stick the same stick up your nose till you kind of touch the back of your nose thinking you're going to poke your brain, put it into a vial. Then you give it to someone, they send it off, then you wait for your results. And actually, if you look in the last what, six months, how far we've come, we now have home testing kits. We're probably going to get better at doing it so we don't have to be so invasive. It's just shown massive progress. So as the testing process becomes a lot more easier for people to administer, I think there's going to be a lot more willingness to go and get tested and actually not resist it as much as people have been. Number 11 has been less devastating in developing countries. And that surprised me, actually, because I thought that this, that this virus would rip through developing countries. And yeah, you've seen some, you've seen South America get a little bit hit in terms of like Brazil's been badly hit in some of those countries, but then in Mexico, but then you go to the Africas and with the exception of South Africa, the, the other Africas have done okay. Now, whether it's because demographics are different, people are not so close together, therefore the transmission ratio isn't quite as prevalent as it would be in a country like the United Kingdom where the houses are really close to one another, I don't know. But it's interesting to see that the less developing countries haven't been ripped as much as I thought they would be ripped, which is a good thing because actually that means we're not going to get the deaths that we first expected. And number 12, overall global cooperation has been a good one. Yes, it has been good. If you think about it, to get all these countries working together to solve the common problem has rarely happened. I mean, you can't get these people agreeing on any processes half the time, let alone doing something like this. But I think I have demonstrated what is possible. And, the, and I suppose it goes to show that if the, if the goal is a strong enough goal and the outcome is really that important, it's amazing what one can achieve. And maybe this will pave the way for us to deal with other global issues, whether it's global warming in terms of emission ratios or whether it's with the use of plastics. Maybe this is the beginning of great things to come. Now, hopefully you've got a lot out of this episode. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please like it, please share it, subscribe so you don't miss further episodes. And most importantly, remember, failing to learn is learning to fail. Please stay safe.